0: We we started a new series last week called Friendship with God. And Liz um, gave a prophecy at the beginning of that that, uh, sermon saying that the Lord says to you today, I am the apple maker, I am the apple giver, I have much planned for your life, don't trade your life purpose for an apple. Instead, seek a friendship with me with all your heart and reflect my righteousness, my peace and my joy in your life. And this is the word of the Lord to you today. That was the prophecy that she gave last week. And that's the prophecy I want to reiterate again to you today. That God is still wanting your attention on this thing. Um, this this uh, sermon, friendship with the apple or the apple maker or friendship with God, is not for everybody in this room. In fact, I think probably one or two of you might get it. And the rest of you will probably sit here and just make the rest of the day as, like it was last week. and You won't be listening. So I'm only going to speak to those who really want to hear something today. The rest of you can go to sleep, and if you go to sleep, I won't wake you up. But you have to have a heart for this one. Because if you don't have a heart for this, when you're just spending time and wasting oxygen and wasting air, you're just sitting here. God is looking for people who will be his friends. And friendship is not something that happens when Jesus forgives you from your sins. It's like, oh, I'm a friend of God because he forgave me of my sins. He must be liking me because he forgave me. No, 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 no. Friendship does not start at conversion. Friendship starts at maturity. When I have a baby in my arms, I am not a friend to the child. The child is a child. It doesn't understand friendship. It doesn't understand what is involved in friendship. It's just a child. But when you are mature, you understand friendship. And so this is, friendship is not just getting saved and Jesus forgives me of my sin. No, no, no. Friendship is for those who are mature in God and going on in God. Paul, and or the writer to the Hebrews says, you know, we let's not lay again the foundation of repentance and, and, and faith towards God and, and baptism. He says, let's go on to the teaching of righteousness. Righteousness has to do with friendship with God. It has to do with living with God. It has to do with walking with God. It has to do with hearing God. It has to be a partner with God in the work of God. That's what friendship is. That's why it's not for everybody here, because some of you will never, ever reach that place of friendship with God. You want to think you do, but you won't ever enter into it because it's just going to cost you too much to it. You'll want to sit where you are and stay where you are where it's easy. Friendships are difficult. But friendships are very fulfilling. And a friendship with God is what God is looking for. He doesn't want to forgive you of your sins. He wants you to join with him, to become close with him, to be his friend and to work with him. So he's looking and searching for someone. And we want to talk about what this friendship means. Friendship with God means living on top of the world with God. And it's the the life of faithfulness to God. That's what it is. It's in a nutshell. Friendship with God is living on top of the whole world, like on the mountain peak of existence, and it's being faithful to God. Now, here's some big words. And some of you will choke at these words, and I'm just going to go through these just once, and then they'll disappear, but they'll be on this board on the side here. And I'll just go and try and explain them to you so you understand. These are the elements of friendship. If you wanted to say, what is a friend and what makes a friend? Now, we have many friends in our lives. Some of them are acquaintances and some of them are real friends. Some of them are long-lasting long friends. We've been friends for many, many years. They've gone through the deep valleys. They've gone through the high mountains. They are still there with us, even though they've gone through many troubles with us. They are real friends, they are true friends. And there are other people we know, they're kind of friendly with us, but we're not really that deeply connected to them. We've discovered that there are eight elements of friendship. Eight elements of friendship. These are the eight elements of friendship humanly, and they're also the eight elements of friendship towards God. So I want you to listen to them, and I want you to think about them before we go on to describe what it's like living on the mountain with God. The first one is intimacy. 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 What does intimacy mean? It means that personal trust where I can get up close with somebody and be close to somebody and then have a trusting relationship knowing that I am there safely. Intimacy. So when I am... Stand up, my brother. When I get close to Brian, I put my arm around Brian and we share a friendship, we can get up close and I can trust him. I don't have to fear that he will hurt me or he doesn't have to fear that I will hurt him. He can tell me his deepest secrets and those deepest secrets will be held by me in trust. He can talk to me about my faults and I know he's not attacking me. I know he's loving me because this is up and close trust. We trust. That's called intimacy. Intimacy is not physical. Oh, you can be close, right up close to somebody like this physically and not be intimate with them. You know that. You know that. Intimacy has to do with being up and close and feeling safe in that closeness, That's intimacy. Have a look at your relationship with your spouse. Have a look at your relationship with your friend. Can you get up and close and trust them? You know, we are, this is where we, we hurt so much, you know, because we get up and close and then somebody stabs us in the heart. We, say, we thought we were getting intimate. We thought we were getting close and then it wasn't trustworthy. Intimacy. The second one is proximity. Everybody say proximity. 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 Say it again. Proximity. You can never be a friend with somebody you are not m- knocking around with, not hanging about with, not crossing paths with. You have to. You have to, or you say, "Yes, I can." You can be a friend with somebody who's in Melbourne. Sure, you can, but that friendship will mean that you have to get on Facebook or on, on and you have to talk to them continuously, backward and forward every day, have a chat to them. Because friendship, real friendship, means that you're going to have closeness in terms of proximity. Everybody say proximity again. Proximity. That means, you know, if you're going to, they, they discovered that you, people don't develop friendships if they don't see you very often. If you don't come to church very often and you're not here, you're only here once a month, you say, G'day. You say, I don't feel connected. It's not the church's problem you don't feel connected. The reality is that if you want to have friendships, you have to be in proximity with people. You have to be crossing paths with them continuously to develop a friendship. And friendship with God is getting up close with God and knowing that he can tr- you can trust Him and He trusts you. And friendship with God means that you can't have a relationship with God if you never read his word and never get into proximity, would never get near him. God is in the mountains or God is in the sky and you're living on the earth and you feel like that great big chasm is between you and God. It is no wonder you don't develop a friendship with God because you're not getting near to God. You're not in close proximity to God. You're not spending time with God. You can't have a friendship with God without spending time with God. Proximity. Self-disclosure is the next one. Now, self-disclosure means i have got to share something about my life. In, in the relationships that I had in past, I usually get to a point of self-disclosure, which is a scary thing, you know, because people get close to you, and you can handle them, they stay out there a little bit, and then they want to get a little bit closer to you. And the little bit closer means that you have to then share something about yourself that you do not want anybody else to know. You're going to have to open up and say, you know what? There's this ugly thing inside of me that I want to tell you about. It happened to me once. you know. And if I pull it out and show you, will you still love me? Once you see what I'm just going to show you, I'm going to disclose something to you. And that's where usually the test of friendship, you know, you go open up and you show it and they go, oh, yeah, see you later. And you feel betrayed and betrayed and, and like you've been beaten down. Self-disclosure. It's not just, just showing your heart, it's this, like, oh, my plans and my dreams and my visions, and this is what I want to do. This is what I this is what I'm thinking, this is what I really believe. And if you talk about God, we want to see God's glory. Oh, that way we would see his glory. Everybody, who wants to see the glory of God? You would say, Oh, yeah, I want to disclose your glory. Moses says, Pass before me so that I can see your glory, God. I want to get close to you. I want to disclose yourself to me. Show yourself to me, God. He says, I'll kill you if I show you everything. He says, but I'll, I'll walk past you. And you can I'll hide you in the cleft of the rock and you can just see from me from behind. That's all. You know what the word glory means? It's the Greek word doxa. And the word doxa means Opinion. So when we get to see the glory of God, we get to see the opinion of God. Some of you don't want to know God's opinion on the thing that you're doing. You don't want God to disclose to you what he really thinks about what you're doing. You don't want God to expose himself to you and say, you know what, here I am, a holy God, let me look at your life, let me see what's going on. You, say, ah, yes, uh, you know, I would rather my darkness than get too close to the light because the self-disclosure of God to you makes you feel completely uncomfortable and you are aware that he can see everything that's inside of you. But friends live together openly, disclosing to each other. And so when you're with God in a friendship, you see how he sees. You're aware of his opinion, and he sees how you are, and he's aware of your opinions. There's a freedom of exposure of self. With God. Reciprocity. Everybody say that word. It's a hard word. Reciprocity. Reciprocity. Say it again. Reciprocity. That's good, man. You're learning new English words by coming to church. This is like an English lesson for you. Reciprocity. It goes like this. It's like... What's yours is mine, and what's mine is yours. And in real true friendships, there isn't mine and yours, there's ours and we. There's reciprocity. Everybody say that word again. How many, is that a new word for people? Put your hand up it's a new word. You're learning new words. Hey, come to church and learn something reciprocity it means that when you get in a situation you share freely you give freely and there's this freedom of exchange that goes it's like there's not just oh give me give me give me it's like what can i give to you what can i give to you reciprocate you give back to you know church is full of people who get you notice that the minister comes and he prepares something for sermon. He's, he's he's done everything he's done. He's spent long hours. He's gone out visiting and we've got a whole team of guys who do that. And we go and we lay ourselves out. We give and give and give. And then, we, and then the church just says, take, 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 take. You know what happens when revival happens? Reciprocity happens. Ministers give and the congregations give. And everybody's in the giving process and then all of a sudden God gives and it's all happening in one place at one time, reciprocity. It's a wonderful thing. It happens with close friends. Responsiveness. That means I feel you. Everybody say, I'm feeling you. I'm feeling you. Yeah, I'm feeling you. I'm feeling you when you're happy and I'm feeling you when you're sad. I'm watching you and when you're going through sometimes, and you're feeling tense, I'm feeling the tension. I'm responsive to you. You don't walk past me and I feel nothing. When you walk past me, I'm feeling you as you're walking by. Closeness is this ability to look with a person and feel their heart and know what's going on even if they're not talking to you. You're feeling them. Responsiveness. It's what's in a friendship. Oh... We don't have very many friends in our lives, do we? That's the problem. Help. Helps what you do with a friend. How can I help you? It's not me asking for help. It's you offering help. It's you watching me, feeling me. And then saying, you know, I can help you. And it's me saying to you, you know what? Let me help you, help me. It's giving, it's giving. And the help is something that is just, it's like I want to do this for you. There's something inside of me that just wants to, yearns to help you. I want you to get where you want to go. I want to help you achieve all your goals. I want to get you to be what you want to be in God. I, want, I, just, I just, how can I help you? How can I assist you? That's in a friendship. Accessibility. Everybody say accessibility. accessibility. Say it again, accessibility. accessibility. That means you can get to me. Uh, you know, I always try that one out, you know. If I, what's your phone number, Mark? i give you my phone. But I'm going to try it out. Have I got accessibility? So you ring at 2 o'clock in the morning while I'm asleep just to see if you've got accessibility. And i like, hello, this is Marguerite, Pastor Marguerite, ready to pray for you and go through your troubles? Ah, sometimes and sometimes no. <laughs> accessibility is the ability to reach a person, to be able to get to them. Somewhere along the line to be able to get to them. You know, if I have a problem, can I get to you? Will you will you respond to me? Accessibility. God says, come to the throne of grace with boldness. Because I'm not going to be there when you get there. I'm going to be hanging around somewhere else and you're going to think that I'm not there. No, he says, come to the throne of bold, with boldness because I'm accessible. You can find help in time of need. He's, he's coming and he's being a friend to us. He's throwing himself out and saying, come on, come on, I want a friendship with you. But listen, even though it says that, some of you are not hearing that. Because he's the last place you go when you need something. He's the last one you ask when you've got a problem. Just don't go to him. Even though he says, I'm accessible, let's start this friendship. We don't go there. And of course, the last one is support. Support. He's there to help you and to support you. And friends are there to help each other and support each other. My strength is with you. He's telling you, I'm I'm going to be there for you. A friend will be there to support you. Now they are the eight elements of close friendships. Where any of these elements are missing in a relationship, you'll find that your friendship is short-lived. So these are the elements of lasting relationship. And if you go and look at some of your lasting relationships, if you have friendships that lasted for maybe 10 or 12 years, and you go and have a look at those friendships and ask yourself, what are the elements of those friendships? Why am I still a friend with this person? You will discover that these are the things that are there continuously in your relationship that maintain your friendship. Now the question is, do you want to be a friend? Not, I don't have any friends. The person who wants to be a friend has to be a friend to somebody else. And of course, that's always risky. There has to be this putting yourself out there. It takes time. It takes energy. It takes vulnerability to be a friend. And in our society... Self is highlighted as the most important thing, not friendship. You being the center of the whole universe is the most important thing in the whole world. Not us or we or what we are doing together as friends in God. So this is kind of a challenging message for you if you like. So how did God extend himself to us? He said, you know, Jesus said, I no longer call you servants because the servant does not know his master's business. So he's going to disclose to you his business, Jesus. Says there. From now on, he says, I'm going to call your friends. He's talking to his disciples. He's talking to the disciples at the point where he's just told them he's going to go to Jerusalem. He's going to be strung up and he's going to be murdered on a cross. He's going to be whipped. And, and he wants them to know his business. He's not communicating to infants. He's communicating to people that he feels should be mature. We know that they all run away when the trouble came. We know that they all took a runaway and they all hid except for John. We know that they, they, they weren't able to maintain that. But he was willing to be saying, I want to be your friend and you are, I want you to be my friends. I'm going to disclose to you my intent. And then he said to them, this is my intent. He says that you do not choose me, but I have chosen you. So he's chosen to call us friends. And he's appointed us to bear fruit. That's what his business is. He wants us to be fruitful. He says, come on, let's get close. Let's get intimate. Let's spend some time in proximity. Let me disclose my heart to you. Let's have a bit of reciprocity. Let's just go backward and forward about what I want to do and what you want to do and how we're going to do this together. Let's get responsive. I want you to feel my heart, says Jesus. I want you to feel what I'm feeling. I want you to have a burden for what I'm feeling a burden for. And I'll have a burden for what you're feeling a burden about. And I'll listen to you. Let's get up and close. Let's get to business. Let's get to do some work together. This is his call. Ah, I'm speaking to you all, but not all of you are listening. Some of you just want God on the side, like a side salad. God on the side while I have my steak here. <laughs> steak on the plate while I wait for heaven which is coming, pie in the sky when I die. You know, you just want God on the side. No, no, Jesus says, no, this is I, This is it. This is while I'm here now, I want to work with you, and I'm, I want to disclose myself to you. So let's. Let me talk about how you can help me do the work that I want to do, says Jesus. You want me to help you, Jesus? Yeah, I want you to help me. I I don't have anybody just like you. What We can work together. I want you to help me. Almighty God, the creator of the heavens and earth, you need me to help you. You want me? You're calling me? You've chosen me to help you? Yeah. I want you to be my friend. You're hearing the heart of God this morning. He's calling you to friendship. He says, I'm there for you. I will always be there for you. I will never leave you, nor will I ever forsake you. You will be able to say, the Lord is my help. I shall not fear what man shall do unto me. I'll be there for you. Come on now. Will you be my friend? I want you to bear forth fruit. So living on top of the world with God, we're going to do a study from the book of Job. You say, oh, well, wait a minute. I know the book of Job. The book of Job is a man who gets smashed by God. He's not living on the top of the world. Well, he was. He was living on the top of the world before he got smashed. And he tells us a little bit about what his life is like. But I want to talk to you about Job at the beginning because it brings this idea of apples and apple giver into focus in the first book of Job. So we go to the book of Job and we're going to go to chapter 1 of Job. And in chapter 1 of Job, we read this word. There was a man in the land of Uz, not Oz, Uz, different to Australia, whose name was Job. Everybody say Job. Job. Not Job. Job. Okay. Job. Job. And that man was blameless and upright and one who feared God and shunned evil. So we're told that Job was blameless. You couldn't put a fault with him. There was nothing in his character that you could say he was blameworthy. It means he was complete and perfect. He'd reached maturity. He'd reached a place of maturity in his life. He he was there. He was morally innocent of blame. He was upright. He was righteous. And the thing that God liked about him was that he liked the thing that God liked. He liked righteousness. And he hated sin. And he shunned evil. You see, there was this reciprocity that was happening between God and Job at the very beginning. He loved righteousness and hated sin. Where did he get that from? He got it because he was intimate with God. He walked with God. He talked with God. And a little bit of God rubbed off on him. In fact, a whole lot of God rubbed off on him. And he was rubbing back onto God. And so much so that God was very proud of his friend, Job. So in verses 6, he says, Now there was a day when the sons of God, they were angels, came to present themselves before the Lord, and Satan also came among them. And he told, and the Lord said to Satan, From where do you come? So Satan answered the Lord and said, From going to and fro on the earth, and from walking backward and forward on it. So he's, he says, Oh, where, where have I been? I've been down on the earth. I've been walking around people, watching people. Oh, you have, have you? You've been down on earth and you've been watching people, Job. I About mean, Satan. Hey, listen, says God. Have you considered Job? He's my mate. Job, my servant. He just loves me. He loves me, and he loves what is righteous, and he loves, and he hates evil. Have you considered Job? Well. You know, stop for a while. Here's the creator of the heavens and earth. He spun universe in the space. He sustains everything by the word of his mouth. He stops and he talks to Satan and he says, "Have you considered my favourite son, Job?" Well, he must have had some sort of something happening there, hey? Do you think that God would actually say, "Have you considered Brian?" Or have you considered Mark? Are we that noteworthy that we should, God would say, I'll give a reference for him? You know, God's giving a reference here, a reference to the devil. It says, let me talk to you about my servant Job, and he's going to give him a reference. Job is the good one. And what does the devil say? Yeah, no, 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 no. There's this thing about apples, you know, apples and the apple giver. Remember back in the garden, the woman said she loved you too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But you know, I, you gave her the apple and she took the apple and not the apple giver. Satan so knows that. So he says, does Job fear you for nothing? Now the word fear is to reverence God. Does God, Job, reverence you for nothing? Have you not made a hedge about him around his household and around all that he has on every side? You have blessed the work of his hands. His possessions have increased in the land. So the devil is saying, you know, Job, he's got a box of apples that you gave him. No wonder he loves you. He's got all the apples. You gave him all the apples. That's why he loves you, said Job. God knows what's going on. He understands and he knows the heart of Job. This is not dangerous for God to say, have you considered Job? This is safe ground because he knows Job because he's a personal friend of Job and Job's a personal friend of him. When God says, have you considered Job? He's not worried that Job is going to somehow get it mixed up and he's going to be ashamed of his friend. He trusts his friend. He is intimate with his friend. He knows he's been in proximity with his friend. He knows Job. He knows all about Job. The devil doesn't, but Jesus does. God knows about Job. And there's a friendship there. And he's not worried about it. And so he says to him, But now stretch out your hand and touch all that he has, and he will surely curse you and die, says the devil. If you take all his apples away, he will turn around and say, You know what, God? I thought you were my best friend. You know what? That's what the devil said. He said, you know, he only blesses you because you give him lots of apples. You take the apples away from him and he will curse you and die. He loves you for what he can get out of you. He doesn't love you for you. And isn't that the test of friendship we have today? You're just using me, aren't you? You're just using me for what you can get out of me. You don't really love me because when you find out about me, you leave me. That's the big test. If I take the stuff I give you away, will you still love me? No, I want to love you because you don't give me anything. You know, my relationship with you is about me, not about us. It's about me. I only love you for what I can get for myself. Ah, That's relationships today. My friend, God is not worried about that because he knows Job and he knows Job is faithful. He knows that he's not going to be betrayed by Job. And so he says, yes, behold, all that he has is in your hand. Only do not lay a touch on his person. So Satan went out of the presence of the Lord. And we are told that he did some bad stuff. Wisdom's just getting some intercession going there. Feed me, mum. So Job had on a hill some cattle, some oxen and some asses. And at this particular time, the Sabaeans came over the hill, they killed all the servants and they stole his oxen and his asses. On the same day, Job had some sheep on a paddock, a lot of sheep on the paddock. And fire from heaven fell down and consumed all the sheep. They were all lamb chops. Everything's gone. The servant only once survived, ran back and told, Job, the sheep have gone. Now The servant said, your oxen and your asses are gone. He had some camels in the back field. And the Chaldeans saw the cattle, uh, the, the camels, and they liked the cattle, camels, and they... Climbed over there and they stole all the the camels and they killed all the servants on the same day. And a servant survived and came running to Job and said, Job, the camels have been stolen by the Chaldeans. On this particular day, his sons and his daughters were having a party at the eldest son's place, which was their custom. They were eating and they were drinking and they were making merry as a wonderful family should. And a strong wind from the desert came and picked up the four corners of the house, lifted it up, blew the supports out and smashed it down on them and all of his children were dead. Like that. Only one survived to tell Job. All his apples were taken away in an instant. Now watch him, God. He's going to curse you and die. Well, The text tells us God knew his friend and his friend knew him. He said, Then Job arose, tore his robes and shaved his head and fell to the ground and worshipped God. Worshipped him. He gets down on his face and says, I don't understand the pain that just took over my life. I don't understand the loss that I've just been. But God, I'm not gone. I'm not I'm just worshiping you, God. You're good. Oh, I'm humbling myself before you. God, you are great. In the midst of my loss, I have you, the apple giver. Uh Ah, I said, Satan, that's not what I wanted to hear. Uh Ah, but God knew Job, and Job, Job knew God. What did you expect? There was a true friendship here. A true relationship. Yes, he had stuff, but the stuff never had him. God had his heart. Naked I came from my mother's womb and naked shall I return. The Lord gave and the Lord has taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Out of of the core of his being does not come accusation against God, but a praise toward God. You give and you take away. Praise your name. You are God and you are mine and I am yours. Friendship with God. In all this, Job did not sin nor charge God with any wrong. Amazing. Anyway, in Job chapter 2 verses 1 to 6, the angels come before the throne again. And the Lord says to Satan, have you considered my servant Job? That there is none like him in the earth, a blameless and upright man who fears God and shuns evil. I can see the smile on God's face. You thought, you thought, but I know Job. You thought you knew Job. And the devil thinks he knows you. But do you know God and does God know you? You thought he would curse God and die. And still holds fast fastest integrity. Although you incited me against him to destroy him without cause. And so Satan answered to the Lord and said, Skin for skin. Everybody say that. Skin for skin. skin, for skin. I can't hear you, Shirley. Skin for skin. skin for skin. Yeah. He's the smart one. This little devil, he's the smart one. You know, they've still got one apple left. You've taken all his apples away that was outside of him, but you still left him with one apple. Skin for skin if you were to touch his body and sickness were to come into his body, then he would curse you and die because he is personally feeling the pain. Skin for skin. And the Lord said to Satan, why did the Lord say to Satan? Because God knew Job And Job knew God. He wasn't scared as though if Job was going to waver at this point. He wasn't sitting there thinking, oh, I hope he comes through. God knew Job and Job knew God. And so God says, touch him, but don't kill him. Touch him, but don't kill him. Whoa. So Satan went out from the presence of the Lord and struck Job with painful boils, painful boils, not, not, not just boils, painful boils, excruciating, burning, painful boils. Whereabouts? Just on his legs? No, no. From the sole of his foot to the crown of his head. He was covered with boils. You know the boils, the one that burn, and then when you touch them it stings and, hurt, and hurts like you wouldn't believe? Yeah, painful boils all over his body, demonic boils. Every part of his body writhing in pain. The Bible tells us he sits on an ash pile with a broken piece of pottery and he lances the boils on his body, to let out the pressure of the pus that's growing up inside his body. There he is in agony and there he is in pain. Now his body has been affected. Now Satan has a different weapon up his sleeve. He gets Job's best friend, the person who he's been most intimate with in human life, the one he lives his, in proximity with, the one who has, he has disclosed most openly to, the one who has shared with him his whole life, the one who is responsive to his need, who is there for him to try and help him in his time, of who's accessible to him and who's meant to support him. He takes this woman, his wife, and says, tell him to curse God and die. So he now has no one on earth, no human being on earth that understands his plight. He only has God and God has him. His own wife has told him to curse God and die. Curse God because all your apples are gone now, she says. Don't love the apple giver anymore because the apple giver has taken all your apples away. And I was the last apple and I'm gone now too. I'm giving you demonic counsel. Curse God and die. Well, friends, God knew Job. (laughs) I love that. And Job said to you, speak as a foolish woman. Shall we indeed accept good from God and shall we not accept adversity? And it says, in all this Job did not sin." With his lips He couldn't move him He loved the apple giver Take all the apples away For better or for worse In sickness and in health For richer or for poorer I'm married to the apple giver I'm connected forever to the apple giver And when my body dies I am with the apple giver Friendship. Not childish. Jesus forgives me for my sins. A deep friendship with God. A heart that understands the heart of God. So why should we look at Job about mountaintop living? Because Job knew about mountaintop living and he came from the mountaintop to be thrown into the abyss. And so I look through the scripture to find out, Job, can you tell me what it was like to live on the mountain? You know what? Turn to Job 29. I'm going to ask Liz to come up and she's going to take a mic. She's going to read it with us. And I'm going to stop as we go through. And I'm going to talk to you about living on the mountain with God. Job 29. We start in verse 2. So Liz is going to read some words and then I'm going to stop and I'm going to talk to you about those words.
1: So starting Job 29 verse 2. Can you hear her? Oh, can you hear me now? Okay, great. Oh, that I were as in months past, as in the days when God watched over me, when his lamp shone upon my head and when by his light I walked through darkness. Just as I was in the days of my prime, when the friendly counsel of God was over my tent, when the Almighty was yet with me, when my children were around me, when my steps were bathed with cream and the rock poured out rivers of oil for me.
0: So here we have Job. He's sitting in, his, in, in a great place of distress and he's lamenting in mourning. There's a chair for you, my dear. He's lamenting in mourning the days of his prime. Now, the word prime means the days of autumn, the autumn days. That's what the word prime means in the Hebrew, the autumn days. And it has the idea of autumn days because it means the fruitful days, the days when the fruit abounds. When does the fruit come on the trees or the apple trees? The fruit is ripe for picking in the autumn time. So when we have the prime time and when when he's saying, oh, when, when, when I was in the prime of my life, it's not the youth of his life, it was the fruitful years of his life. So he's, he's now looking back while he's sitting on his, on his pile of ashes, he's looking back and saying, oh, for the days when God and I walked together on the mountaintop. And he begins to tell us about the mountaintop, what it was like. He says, God watched over me. He watched over me. He was my support. He was my help. He was there. He was accessible. He had proximity. He watched over me. His lamp shone on my, my head. I mean, he was revealing himself to, to Job, pouring out himself to Job. Job could stand there and he could feel the heat of God's presence pouring over his life, revealing to him stuff, on the mountaintop with God. It says that, when he walked in the light and darkness, he it didn't, he didn't matter about the darkness. He knew that God would disclose the light. He would open up the way. He would show him the path. He could walk in the darkness with confidence because he knew the light was with him. That was living on the mountain with God. Job lived in that place where he was aware of God's presence with him continuously. The, the awareness of God's presence and his wisdom was there with him Continuously, he says, the friendly counsel of God was over my tent. Oh, he was a friend with God. God would talk to him like a friend and he would give him friendly counsel. And, and, and Job would talk back to God and they, would, they had wisdom. They had together, they had wisdom. God's wisdom was in Job and Job would give God his view and, and God would speak to Job. And they had this, they had this union, this, they had. this communion together on the mountain. He said, where did you get your friendship from, Job? Through living here with God. Daily, walking in his presence. Daily, feeling the shine of his glory upon my life. Listening to him. Having his presence in my life. That's where I got the mountaintop experience from, he said. He says, the, he says look at the prosperity. His path with, with cream. Like it says, my steps were bathed with cream. Well, that means it was prosperous. It was prosperous, and he says, "And the rock poured out rivers of oil." Well, they had rocks, you know, and they'd get all the olives, and they'd put the olives on the rock, and then they'd get the rock and they'd grind the olives, beat the olives, and the oil would run out of the olives, the pressed olives. The oil, he says, the rocks poured out streams of oil to me. He's saying to, I had prosperity. I had everything. God gave me heaps of apples. He gave me his counsel and his wisdom and he was there with me in proximity. We talked together, we walked together and he he gave me prosperity. God was with me on the mountain of life when things were fruitful. So we can see from Job where he came from. And that's what he was thinking about when he was sitting on his ashes about the blessing of God.
1: Verse 7, when I went out to the gate by the city, when I took my seat in the open square, the young men saw me and hid, and the aged arose and stood. The princes refrained from talking and put their hand on their mouth. The voice of nobles was hushed, and their tongue stuck to the roof of their mouth. When the ear heard, then it blessed me, and when the eye saw, then it approved me. Because I delivered the poor who cried out. Okay.
0: What do we have here in this first part? You have a man who has a relationship with God that's so powerful that when he walks into a room, (coughs) youngsters look and they shut their mouth. They run away and hide. This man has a presence about him. He walks into a place and there's a presence about his life that makes young foolishness stop and run away and hide. Hey, Job's here. And the kids settled straight away. He's got this way about him. It says that the aged rose and stood. You've got to have respect for an aged man to arise. And when you walk into the room and you're a younger man and an aged person stands up and, and, and wants to shake your hand, you have respect with the elderly. He had respect with With the elderly When when he walked into the room Even though he was younger Those who were older than him Would stand up And almost salute him Because there was something About the man Everybody say reciprocity Job feared God And men feared Job Because when Job walked Something of God, who is to be feared, walked with him. Think that. He had entered into the fear of God and he become fearful. There was something about him, awe-inspiring. It says, the princes, nobility, the princes, the rulers of the land, they refrained from speaking when this man walked in. They stopped because it was disrespectful to talk when he was in the room. This is Job on the mountaintop before he hit the, the gutter. This is Job walking with God. He had that sense. God walked with him, and when he, he walked into the room, the princess put a hand over their mouth to listen to this man's wisdom. He had something. He had something. What? Where did he get that something from? He got that something from being a friend with God, walking with God, sticking close to God, being in the proximity of God. All of God had washed over him. And when he walked out of the presence of God, God walked out with him. And when he walked into a room, people saw the presence of God on him. And they knew, don't mess with this man. He's got God all over him. They shut their mouths. They listened to what he had to say because he was being in the presence of God. He says, the voices of the nobles, the rich people, were, were hushed. Well, you know what? Rich people do usually override poor people. And now the rich people, you know, they usually don't pay the right wages. The rich people usually, usually, you know, oppress the poor. Well, they're hushed and their tongue is stuck to the roof of their mouth. And you know why their tongue is stuck to the roof of their mouth? Because if this man speaks and he finds judgment against them, they're stuffed. And so their mouth dries out. Because they are fearful of what he's going to say. This man is a prince. This man is a judge. This man is a judge in the community in which he lives. That's Job on the mountain before he got thrown into the gutter. He had the sense of God in his presence. He said, when the ear heard, it blessed me. So when somebody listened, they would listen. and What's he going to say? What's he going to say? What's he going to say? And when they heard what he had to say, oh, yes, that's so right. What you said is so right. It is right. Where did you get that wisdom from? Where did you get that from? It's from God. It's right. The ear blessed him. And the eye, when it saw, it approved. Yes, I want to see this thing, this right thing happen. Justice happening. So what was he doing when all this was happening? Let's read on.
1: Verse 12. Because I delivered the poor who cried out, the fatherless and the one who had no helper, the blessing of a perishing man came upon me and I caused the widow's heart to sing for joy. I put on righteousness and it clothed me. My justice was like a robe and a turban.
0: So this is this man, Job, on the mountaintop. What's, what's he doing? You know, is he just an entrepreneur with lots of wealth? Is this what we see, Job? He comes before God and Satan's tempting God to, 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 to hurt Job because Job's got lots of money? No, no. Job has lots of money. Job has lots of wealth. Not, not because that's what he does. Job has lots of money. Job has lots of wealth because that's just company. the fact that Job is a, is a judge in the land and he's a judge for the poor. And he stands in for those who have not. So when he walks in the room, the poor are with him. When he walks in the room, he has righteousness and justice clothed him. He has the heart of God Like the heart of God that was in Jesus, it said, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me to preach the gospel to the poor and to, this is like Jesus, this is like Jesus walking in and he is the man who's been in touch with God and now comes with the counsel of God to make a ruling for the poor, make a ruling for those who cannot speak for themselves, for the, who have no helper, who will stand in for somebody who has no helper. Job will stand in for somebody who has no helper. Job will be the father to the fatherless. When Job speaks, the man who is dying, he blesses Job. Why? Because he's dying? No, because he knows his wife will be looked after. Job will ensure that his wife is looked after. The man who is perishing blesses him. Why? Because the wife, the widow, is rejoicing. Job has seen her plight and will take care of her. He will look after her. This man is walking with God. He has all the apples, but the apples are not his. He's taken the apples and he's given them to everybody else. He's there abounding with goodness. His friendship with God overflows and his friendship and commitment to people. Think that one through. It didn't end with Job. The blessing was just a thing that Job was able to use to bless the poor, to minister to the lame, to look after those who needed. He had because then from his resource he could give. He was like a welfare society all on his own, looking after the needs of the poor. The apples weren't his. The apples were tools to help others. He loved the apple giver because the apple giver gave him apples to give to the poor who needed apples. There was nowhere where Job was saying, I've got me and I've got mine and you're taking mine away. There was nothing of Job in there. It was all for somebody else. Job can show us what living on the mountain is like because Job lived on the mountain with God. He lived and walked with God. He was a friend of God. He was in proximity and intimacy with God. He understood the heart of God. He could give wise counsel because he'd been... Talking to God about the counsel to give. Wisdom flowed from his life. Knowledge flowed from his life. Understanding flowed from his life. Why? Because you spend time with God. Look, you're listening to me. Only a couple of you are listening to me now. Only a couple of you are listening to me now. You don't take this. You don't spend any time with God, so you have no wisdom. You don't spend any time with God, so you have no knowledge. You don't spend any hard time with God, so you have no heart. You don't spend any time and you don't care. You have no love because you don't spend time with God. Listen to me. Maybe just one or two of you are going to hear me today. rest of you will come back for church next week. God is looking for friends to live on the mountain. I put on righteousness and they clothed me. The righteousness of Jesus clothed their lives. God says, come to me, come to me. Take the robe of righteousness, which I have for you. He's calling you to friendship. Not just a righteous robe to get on so you can sneak into heaven. He wants you to have the counsel of righteousness on your life. He wants to put his robe around you. He wants to walk with you and talk with you along life's difficult roads. He wants to pour out his blessing in your life so that you can bless others. You know, he pours out his blessing in your life. You say, oh, thanks for that. I, I just, just needed that. I'll get a new TV set now. You missed the point. Justice was like a robe and a turban. He'd sit there. He would look and he would see. And he would discern right and wrong. And his discernment was right every time. And why was it right every time? Because he lived in harmony with his friend God who gave him right counsel every time. Let's read on. Verse
1: 15. I was eyes to the blind, and I was feet to the lame. I was a father to the poor, and I searched out the case that I did not know. I broke the fangs of the wicked and plucked the victim from his teeth.
0: This is this man living on the mountain with God. This is Job, you know? You know what happened? You know why Satan wanted Job out of the business? Because Job had reached the top of society with righteousness clothing him. He was the source of right judgment. He was the source of God's power and presence to the people who who came and said, what would God say about this? And he walked into the room and God walked in with him. And as he walked in, he had the judgment of God oozing out of him because he'd spent time with God and he knew what God was. He was eyes to the people who had no vision. He was ears to the people who were deaf. He was feet to the people who couldn't walk. He was able to do and minister to those who had not. Why? Because he lived on the mountain with God. He was friends with God. He just wasn't blessed with the provision of God, with the abundance of God's prosperity. Look, see, I'm a good Christian because I've got plenty of stuff. No, he had, but it was had to give. The wisdom oozed out of him. The knowledge oozed out of him. The understanding oozed out of his life. The counsel of God oozed from his lives. And when he looked at the wicked man, he could break the fangs of the wicked because he was standing in for the righteous. He destroyed the wicked and plucked the victims from death. This is our hero, Job. This is Job on the mountain. This is the same Job that Satan said, if you take all his stuff away, he will curse you and die. Little did he know that Job walked with God in a deep lasting, robust relationship that would never quit on stuff. He had experienced God. He was in proximity. He was intimate with God. God had disclosed his glory to Job, and Job disclosed the glory of God to others. There was reciprocity they walked together, sharing life together, God and Job. God knew Job, and Job knew God. There was no threat for any fall here. Satan just didn't know how deep the waters ran between those two. This is what it says in Matthew chapter 6, verses 31 to 33. It says, therefore do not worry, saying, what shall we eat? Or what shall we drink? Or what shall we wear? He says, for all these apples, the things the Gentiles seek after. These are the apples that everybody's searching for. What do I drink? What do I eat? What do I wear? This is the stuff. He says, don't get caught with the stuff. Don't get caught with the stuff. For all the Gentiles, all the non-godly people, worry about the stuff. What was the counsel that Jesus gives to us? He says, your heavenly father knows what you need and he's able to give you what you need when you need it. The apple giver is able to give the apples when you need the apples. Don't get caught up on the apples. Get your eyes on the apple giver. Think about that. But I haven't got enough and I'm just going to sit down and get moan and grizzle to God. Think about it. He says, don't get worried about the apples. The apples will look after themselves. Don't worry about the apples. God has all the apples. He can give you apples. Don't worry about the apples. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And all of these things will be added. Seek first the apple giver. Now listen to me, friends. You listening to me? You're going to go from this place and forget exactly what I've said. One or two of you will take this away. Only one or two. The rest of you will just forget it. You will go home, and when the apple giver says, find me, discover me, seek me, learn from me, let's share together, you'll say, yeah, tomorrow, and turn on the TV and fill your mind with rubbish. You go and play sports and run around a bit after a bit of a soccer ball and get all hot and sweaty about it and have no time for anything else. You know why? Because it's not that. That's You know, he says, Come to me, all you are weary in him. Come to me and I will take my yoke upon me and learn from me why he wants to have a friendship with you. He wants to disclose what he wants to do. I have plans for you. I, well, you know, I have to. What, what do you want me to do? Can you just tell me in brief? You know, I don't want to spend too much. I've got another game, you know. Forget about going to play the game. Sit down. This is going to take some time. I'm talking to you about the rest of your life. I'm talking about what I want you to do for me the rest of your life. Do not tell me to shut up and to put it in, in, in point points. I want to talk to you about it all, and you can talk to me about it. I want to have a relationship with you. Oh, I've got no time for that. Yeah, I know. That's why only one or two of you will hear. Only one or two of you will go this. God's searching for someone, but you're not listening. You heard it. He wants you to live on the mountaintop with him. He wants you to walk with him so much so that when you walk out on the street, there's something about the presence of God that's on you. And people look at you and they say, what is there about you? What is it about you? that you walk and hold the counsel of God, that it oozes out of you, the love of Jesus just oozes out of you, the opinion of God oozes out of your life. You are the expression of God. You're you're God being incarnated into the world. They see God by looking at you. They see God by looking at you. They see God by watching your behavior. They see God in you. don't worry about the stuff. Get to Jesus. Get to this friendship. Get to this thing that Jesus is wanting to bring to you. Are you getting it? Listen to me. Are you getting it? Do you understand? Is the seed falling on the ground and the birds coming taking it away? Or will it fall into good soil? Does it go and find its root? Will it swell into shallow soil and spring up and then be burned off the first time you want to watch something and and you're conflicting with the the requests of God? Will it get crowded and distracted by stuff around you? Will you let the thorns grow up around your life and so distract you so you can't bear full fruit? Or when you get in there and when you understand that God wants your roots to go down into good ground and he wants you to be fruitful and now you're going to do what it takes to walk with God on the mountaintop. You've got to be faithful to God. Faithful to him. Well, his friendship with the world wrapped itself around you and now he looks at you and says, you adulteress." We wanted to have this walk, but you went and had an affair with the world. It says in Second Chronicles 16 verse 9, For the eyes of the Lord run to and fro throughout the whole world, The old earth, to show himself strong on behalf of those whose heart is loyal to him. God wants to show himself strong on the behalf of those whose hearts are loyal to him. This is a reflection time, friends. Think this one through. Where were you this week? When the voice of God called you to come and to share, he wanted to disclose, he wanted to be in proximity. Where were you this week when your path would a cross with the mighty God? Where were you this week when he wanted to lay out his burden for you, when he wanted to respond to you? Where were you this week when you were grieving and you were hurting? Did you go to the heart of God and say, God, I'm grieving and hurting? Or did you go to your friends and talk and bitter? Let bitterness rot. right. Where were you this week? What did you do this week? Friends, listen to me. God is calling you. He's calling you saying, come and be my friend. And that's not get your sins forgiven. That's walking with Jesus on a daily basis. Being faithful to God. Faithful to him. Are you hearing the voice of the spirit today? Do not harden your hearts when you hear him. He's calling you home. He's calling you to be a friend to him. Let's pray. Father, we pray and ask, oh God, that you would just touch into our lives this word. Lord, that it would uh, be grafted into us. Lord, that we would hear the heart of God calling to us to be his friend. That you would be a friend to us and that we would be a friend to you, God. That our our paths would cross, that we would spend time with you, that we would discover you, Lord Jesus. That we would walk with you and that we would love you more than anything else. Lord, you are the apple giver. And we thank you for the apples, God, but we want you. We want you above everything else, Lord Jesus. Touch our hearts, I pray. As you have your heads bowed and your eyes closed, I'm going to ask that individual, that one or two persons that are touched by this message and feel that they can commit to God in friendship. Give him what he wants. And walk with. I want you to raise your hand. I want you to raise your hand and say, God, whatever it takes, I want to give you my heart in friendship. And I know that means I've got to let some stuff go because it's not good. But I, I want you, Jesus, above everything else. Raise your hands now. That's your. That's your confession to God saying, begin the process now, God, of working with me to bring me close to yourself. Father, you see the hands that have indicated and I ask that you would just touch those. Draw them this week to a place of intimacy with you, Lord Jesus. Show them, Lord, your proximity. Disclose to them your word and call them to your word this week, Lord Jesus. Show them what they have to do Lord Jesus, and help them to get involved in what they have to do, Lord Jesus, for you. And give them what they need to do that, Lord Jesus, I pray. Be sensitive to their needs, Father, and strengthen them, O oh God, into your word, Lord Jesus. Help them, Lord, to walk this life, Lord Jesus. Lord, you are accessible for all of us. Help us to come to you Continuously. To bear our hearts before you so that we know you and you know us. And nothing the devil can say about us will stop our relationship, Lord Jesus. We ask it in Jesus' name. And everyone said, Amen. God bless you.